All right. But Ephesians, Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. I'm going to read it all through and then we'll look at it together. Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too were all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. For God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for again this evening. Thank you, Lord, that we are able to um, eat uh, and, and, and that meal that we had, and, and whether we brought food or we ate before we came, um, the food that we had uh, was probably the second meal, I'll assume. Uh, but even if it was the first meal uh, and our only meal for today, um, there are people who have yet to have a meal for this week and, and, and just wondering when they will find a meal to eat. And, and so we are incredibly blessed uh, people and, and so I just thank you Lord for your, your blessings and I thank you Lord for your word and, and I pray Lord that particularly us who are believers here uh, uh, in this room uh, that we would see from your word how you chose us how you made us alive and raised us up with Christ and what an incredible thing that was for you to do um, even though we didn't deserve it so help me Lord to speak your word clearly and, and accurately and help us to um, Apply to our lives. Since your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So first, uh, first verse, verse one says, "And you were dead in your trespasses and sins." Now, what may be, what might appear to be a repetition? Because when you hear trespasses, you normally think of what sin, right? You know, you know, cause, and that's even in the prayer where it says, you know, "Forgive us our trespasses and those who trespass against who." Ah, so you guys have it right. So, however. Although, technically, trespass and sin, generally, it's the same thing, where, you know, it means, you know, offense against God. But in the original language, they have a slight different, uh, or I should say a slight individual meaning, all right? And so, uh, trespass, in the original language, there is, Paraptoma, all right? And for those who play video games, you have like parap, parapa the rapper. So the first part is, you know, easy to pronounce that. Paraptoma, right? And, and it means a violation of moral standards or wrongdoing, a misstep, okay? And then sin, and, and it's my fault, I actually have that spelled correctly, the, the M should be, where the R is, and the R should be in front of the A, the other A. So, Hamadia, Hamartia, which 
means a departure from the divine standards of of, of uprightness. So although, yes, technically, right, trespass, sin, technically, generally, it's an offense against God. However, the individual meaning, trespass is more of a, um, you know, know, a slip-up, a misstep, it's, uh, you know, still straying away. And in a good way, I like a, a Baker uh, commentary puts it. It says, trespasses are like a deviation from the straight, narrow path. Sin uh, is more of an inclination, thoughts, words, and deeds, which miss the mark of glorifying God. Um, however, nonetheless, whether one is like, you know, a slip up, you know, saying something at the wrong time, or one is like you purposefully plotting in your mind that I'm going to say such and such to this classmate and I know it's going to make them feel bad and, and you know, whatever it is, right, um, as unbelievers, we were dead in them, okay? And that dead is, you know, a state of loss. Uh, and theologically speaking, it's a morally and spiritually um, deficiency. Now, I want to have a little few things in my hand, all right? My left hand will represent the past, okay? My right hand will represent the present. Why are you laughing? Is it like sweat spots or something? Oh, okay. It was just, it was like, because I do sweat a lot, okay? Um, don't get distracted by the sweat spots, okay? So my left hand will be past tense, okay? So wherever I hold my left hand, I'll be past tense, okay? And this, can you all read this? What is it? Dead. Okay. All right. So when I lift up my hand, you will say, Dead. Okay. Present. Oh, okay. I love. Oh, you guys are shocked because it will eventually, it will eventually get to that. It will eventually get to alive. Alright, sweet, good them, sweet. Alright. So, so Paul was saying in the phrase, you were dead. So what is Paul implying? Is this a present condition? Is this a future condition? Or is this a past condition? It's a past condition, right? So we were dead, alright? Those who have accepted, I mean, actually, those who have not yet accepted Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? And, and this letter, again, is written to the Ephesian church. So it's, it's, it's target uh, or its audience, uh, the people of the Ephesian church. Uh, so it's targeted to believers. And Paul is, and you will see why Paul is sort of looking at some things in the past and, and, and bringing it back to where we are now. Okay? So, and the word there where it says, and you were, literally means being. Okay? So death was our literal spiritual state. Being. We were like dead, okay, um, before salvation, all right? Uh, verse 2 says, In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, okay? And again, we see a, a consistent, what? Ha, what's this? Ha, pardon, and then this hand is? Fast, right? 
Okay, so we see a, a consistent pattern of Paul uh, referring to our past state of being, says in which you were, in which you formerly walked. Okay, so we were dead, now we're formerly walked. Um, so this past life we once lived is actually, this past life we once lived is exactly like the world. Now, when we say the world, is it referring to like the mountains and the the oceans and rivers? When when in when the Bible refers to the world, and when Jesus teaches about don't be like the world, what what is that? Like how do you explain that to someone that you come across the street and they're like, Jesus, don't you know? You, you know, you're, you're in the world, but don't be off the world. And it's like, what is that? What's the world? Like, aren't we on planet Earth? You know, like, so don't be like Earth. And like, like so can you, can you, like, break that down? What does, what does that mean? Don't be like other people. Okay. Why? Okay, good. We're supposed to be like God. And sometimes other people... I'm assuming who do not have a relationship with God. What? Okay. Stray. Distract us. Right? All right. So basically it's like the world has its own desires. The world has its own lifestyle. Right? The world are all those who oppose God. And and it says here, uh, verse 2, In which you formerly walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air. All right? And the world is manipulated. Those who are in the world are manipulated uh, uh, by Satan, who is currently influencing people of the world who are purposely disobeying God. And I like how the New Living Translation puts it, because it puts it very clearly. And it says this. See in verse, but the New Living Translation says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Paul continues in verse 3. Verse 3 says, Among them we too all formerly live in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest, right? So Paul continues in verse 3, uh, that the following actions are also characteristic of how we formerly walked and lived when we were, yeah. all right, were, yeah. right? How we formerly walked, how we formerly lived, right? Lust of the flesh, indulging desires of the flesh and mind, right? Now, when it says, we were by nature children of wrath, what is nature? Can you break down? Can you explain nature? What does nature mean? <laughs> Trees. Well, that is a part of it. That is a part of it. Trees. But what is nature? Um, in the sense of like our humanity, like what's what's that? Character, oh. self behavior, your behavior, 
Yeah? How you, how you act. I'm hearing some things, right? Well, all right. Um, here is, here is um, one of those guys, Oxford, or who's the other one? Um, <laughs> says nature is the basic or inherent features of something, right? So it's like, you know, the thing that is basic and, 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 um, I definitely don't want to use the same word because in eighth grade, English class, seventh grade actually, it's like teachers were like, give a definition. Do not use the word in your definition. I was about to say the natural things that we do. Um, but it's the, the basic features of something, right? Um, and so it says here, what is, it says here, children of wrath. What do you guys think that means? Before saying children of wrath, we were children of wrath. Okay? What's wrath? What? Anger. anger, right? Anger, wrath. What else? What else? What else? What other synonyms can describe wrath? Wrath. What? Fury. Okay. Wrath? Yeah, wrath is a word. It's right. It's right there. Furious. Okay, wrath. Right? Okay, it's not pleasant, right? Right? Like you don't go home and say, "I can't wait for my parents' wrath." To be upon me, right? I mean, one, one, you wouldn't phrase it that way, right? Because we're in the twenty-first century, right? All right. I know, because I was thinking, like, I was like, is it the twentieth or twenty-first century, right? It's not pleasant, all right. So we know that wrath is not pleasant. So when it says children of wrath, what comes to your mind? Because that's how that's where we were. Those who, huh? Fear comes to your mind, all right. Why? You won't get beaten with the leather belt. Oh, dude, I got some beatings with the leather belt, man. And sometimes like this. Mmm, mmm. All right. So, listen to this. The expression. Come back. Come back to me. Come back to me. The expression. Children of wrath. You know, is in one part it identify us with the Adamic race. And I know I'm saying some things, and you're like, what in the world is Pastor Mishlo talking about, right? But I want us to understand uh, our very privileged and unique relationship that we have with Christ, okay? So the Adamic race. When you see that word, what comes to mind? Adam. Oh, great. That's cool. I wasn't expecting a quick response. All right. So Adam, all right? So we take off I, C. We have Adam, right? Uh, what does it mean to be a part of the Adamic race? Adam's from sinner. Okay, right? All right, because what did Adam and Eve do in the garden? They sinned against who? God, right? And what happened since they sinned? They threw in the garden, but what was the consequence for all mankind? Death. Death, all right? And if you read Romans, and I would encourage you to read it sometimes, and it can be an extremely difficult read sometimes, but if you read it, um, God speaking through Paul, right, shares how through one man death and sin came into the world, but yet through another life. And what he's referring to is that through Adam, who sinned, all of us 
are thus born into sin, and our path outside of Christ is death. But then it referenced the second Adam, which refers to the Messiah, Christ, who comes and that who comes to bring life. The exact, the exact opposite. So when you see there, we're by nature children of wrath. Uh, it's one identifying us with who we were. And then also, it gives an account of the impending judgment. Because you guys say, right, wrath is not pleasant, right? Think of fury. Fur, fur, fury. Fury. Somewhere, right? Anger, rage, right? It's not pleasant. So, um, so this is who we were. This was by nature. We were, before we got to know Christ, children of wrath. And John 3 36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Alright? Um, verse 4. Verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, right? Which is, and we'll see, it's just amazing. God's great love, God's Police agape, right? That's the Greek there. Police agape. His great love with which he loved us is the means by which we experience this rich mercy. It's the means by which um, we have been redeemed. And, and that's crazy because is it easy to, to love your enemy? Or let's say the person who doesn't like you, and you know they don't like you. It's not like someone says something, but you know that for whatever reason, they can't stand your entrails, right? I'm just trying to be fancy, your guts. You know, they can't stand you. They can't stand the way you walk. They can't stand the way you talk, you know. They can't stand because you can't pronounce or you can't enunciate furry, right? And they're like, ah, he just can't say furry. Like makes me sick, right? Right? Is it is it easy to love that person? Sit, sit in the chair, sit in the chair. Is it easy to love that person? Why? Like why not? Why is it not easy to love a person who can care less about us? This, this, is, this is where you can talk, like, why, why is it? Why is it so difficult to love a person who, can, who, who cares, who does not care a lick about you? It's point, why is it pointless? What's the point? Okay. It's rejection? Rejection. Okay. Rejection. All right. All right. All right. So, so, like what, 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 what Danielle said, stay with me, stay, stay with me, Ethan, stay with me, right? Right? It doesn't make sense. Like, it really doesn't make sense. Like, why would you care, love, and, and, and be merciful and gracious to someone who can care less about you? It doesn't make sense. It's like, why, why would you do that? But that's exactly what God did for us. Um, 
And Paul puts it again in perspective in verse 5. He says, Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So God's overabundant mercy was applied towards us, propelled by his great love, even when we were dead in our sins. Right? And and sometimes it's hard to, to, to imagine because you're like, I'm not dead, I'm living, I'm you know, I'm doing what I want. I'm not dead. Really? You know, I'm not. Right? Right? Because I'm doing what I am doing. I'm alive. Um, I don't feel, right? You know, I don't smell, right? I don't look, right? So I'm not, right? But we, those who are not in Christ, spiritually are. Those who who have accepted Christ, we spirit, we were um, spiritually dead. And but when we accept Christ, we were made alive in. Him. And we've been saved because of all the good works we've done. Right? Like, you know, we do good works, right? We get good grades and we respect our parents. And then and then God sees that and he says, Oh yeah, you know what? That's good. Amber, Ethan, they stare at me. Right? He says, That's good. Right? Is that is is that the case? Does God see the good stuff we do? And he's like, Oh, you know what? Pastor Mitch is good enough. Chris is good enough. You know, Lauren is good enough. Megan's good enough. Carrie's good enough. You know what? I'm going to save them. Is that is that how it works? Right? Was that the process? Was it because of our goodness? No, right? Right? There was nothing we could do, right? And that's why it says, by grace you've been saved. Um, it's not of works. It's not of accomplishments. It's not of how good we may think we are. Um, it's not. It is God who saves. And uh, there's a little line in this commentary that says, salvation lies not in us, but in God. Because if it was, we wouldn't need God. Why would we be here? Why are we be singing praises to him? Why would we be doing our devotions? You know, Why would we be reading the Bible? Why would we come up on, on a Sunday morning? Why would we do Sunday school if it was in us? It's not in us. It's in God. And it's God who... Um, draws us to him, you know. We have nothing um, to give to God to justify us being saved. But it's through his great love, his rich mercy, um, that although we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And in verse 6 we see that he not only made us alive, but he raised us up with him, Christ, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus Who's ever been in a heavenly place? No one. Good. Right? Um, some people claim to be after they go through their meditation time. Right? And I won't go on with that. But here's, here's what um, the New Testament commentary puts, it describes verse 6. And I think this is beautiful. And listen to it. Okay? It's a little long, but try not to get distracted. It says, this is a fact. And it's referring to how we were raised up with him and seated us with him, Christ, in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. says, this effect has reference not only to church's state or legal standing before God, but also its condition. Right? The latter, talking about the condition, because from the place of his heavenly glory and majesty, Christ sends forth the spirit 
into the hearts of believers so that they die to sin and are raised to newness of life. Therefore, both as to state and as to condition, we can say that with Christ Jesus, we ourselves are tried, condemned, crucified, and buried. But also that we who are in Christ were made alive, raised, and set in heavenly places. And and to uh, just to bring a lot of clarity to this, and I'm going to skip some because of time, but in Romans 6, 4, 8, you don't have to turn it, it'll be on the screen. I'll just read it and you can follow along. Romans 6, 4, 8 says this, verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism, that's those again who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. All right, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Verse 6, knowing this, that our Lord, that our old self, sorry, was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we no longer be slaves to sin. Verse 7, for he who has died is free from sin. And verse 8, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. All right? So before we knew Christ, before we knew Christ, we were spiritually dead. When you have personally accepted Jesus as your Lord and personal Savior, you then are made alive and you are raised up with him. All right? Um, So to what end purpose is God doing all this? You know, like he talks about who we were, where we were, what we did. And, and it's all the past things that we, that described us before we came to know his son. And before we placed faith and trust in him for our Lord, uh, to be our Lord and personal savior. So why is God doing all this? Like, why is He, why is He highlighting all of these things, the importance of what it is, uh, the importance of the relationship that we have with Him? So why is He doing this? And we see in verse seven, in verse seven, guys in the back, in verse seven, excuse me. Um, well, not back, back, but whatever, middle row there. Verse seven it says, so that in the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The ages, which is the aeon, refers to a long period of time without reference to a beginning or an end. So God the Father worked out his salvation plan towards us so that in all time, all time, he would be glorified and his attributes would be magnified, displaying the surpassing riches of his grace towards us in a generous amount of kindness in Jesus Christ. So we were made alive in Christ. When we confessed our sins to Jesus, when we asked for him to transform our lives, when we accepted the fact that he came to earth to die for our sins, 
and that he did not only die, but he raised again. We were made alive in him. And ultimately, ultimately, for the glory of God. So therefore, let us live lives that bring God glory. It cost him a very extreme, hefty price, and a price he paid unreservedly for our eternal benefit. So my closing question to the person in here who has who have yet to place trust and faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and personal Savior, my question to you tonight is, are you raised, are you alive and raised up in Christ? Because if you're not, you can be. And all you have to do is simply in your heart. And I, you know, cause, and I, I, I don't want to be like too Christianese. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, confess your sins before him. You know, acknowledge that he came to this earth to die for your sin. And that he rose again. Right? Which means that God accepted it. God accepted that sacrifice. And if you do that, if you place faith and trust in him, you become a new person. The things that you did before were all former things. You know, the state that you were in, all past tense. You know, you were dead in your sins. You formerly walked according to how the world walked. All right? But the glorious thing is, if you made that commitment, you made that decision, you then become alive and raised up with Christ. And for we, for us who are in that category, who are alive and raised up with Christ, let us live lives that demonstrate that. And it's not easy. We all fall. We all make mistakes every day, moment by moment, hour by hour, hour by hour. But it's an amazing thing because we see here about God's great love. We see here about his mercy. So no matter what, you, what you've done, no matter what, what struggles you may have, God is merciful. He is gracious. He is forgiving. He is loving. And, and you can, the relationship that you have with him can be restored so that you can maintain the fellowship with him. So don't let mistakes, don't let failures uh, distract you, and don't let the enemy use that to make you feel guilty and that, ah, I don't have a relationship with Christ. You do. You've been, you've been made alive and you've been raised up in Christ since you place faith and trust in him. Amen.